So fun fact about Indiscretion. Yeah. It was directed by one LeVar Burton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good good job for him. I know. I certainly felt like reading after it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, this is an episode which kind of introduces some things that that sort of pay off down the road. Okay. And and it's also kind of an interesting episode because it, it kind of indicates um, wh- what Deep Space Nine becomes a little bit more um, in later seasons. I, I don't know. What, what did you think about this episode? Well, I mean, there's been... There's been a very subtle hinting that uh, Dukat kind of likes Kira, and this is certainly an episode which, even though it doesn't really come out, it's that's certainly some subtext that I read into this episode. Um, yeah, you, you know, know, you know, there's some slash fiction out there about the fact that she comforted Dukat after he sat on the thing. Yes, <laughs> um, but I mean, no, especially given that, you know, in this it's revealed that Dukat actually had a Cardassian girlfriend, uh, had a Bajoran girlfriend that he had a child with. So, I mean, that makes it even less of a weird thing that, you know, Dukat might have feelings for her. I mean, he kind of has a precedent for yeah. like Bajoran women. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this was a very interesting episode in that, I mean, there's that line that you know, Dukat says, you know, our Cardassian and Bajor are going to become good friends, you know, at some point. And this is... And he's obviously talking about him and Kira. Yeah, but I mean, you know, still, it's, 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 in a way, they are a microcosm of what the cardassia Bajor relationship is going to be like, you know, I mean, they maybe like, we don't know. Well, you know, they, they certainly have some of the, they're the problems between the two of them, you know, yes, they're personal, but they do tie into the larger, uh, issues between the two planets. They make them very clear that it's not going to be an easy reunion. No, absolutely not. And I think that the, the interesting thing about this episode in particular is that, you know, I think that that Ducat obviously has some sort of sexual attraction for Kara or likes her to some yeah. degree. I don't know if it's romance. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, he's taken by her. He's taken by her. You know, maybe he doesn't even really realize that the extent of it. But Kira's having none of it. And yeah. I, I, I don't think that. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't get the sense from Kira. I mean, she sees him essentially as Himmler. She sees him essentially as Hitler. Yeah. I, I don't think that she's ever going to even entertain the possibility of, of having any sort of sexual or romantic relationship with Dukat. No, but at, at, at the same time, at the end, he does do what we would say is the right thing. I mean, he does make a good choice, and he does... I mean, he doesn't murder his daughter? Well, you know, I mean, I know, I, I know it's silly, but it is the... You know, even Dukat is able to, you know, go against what, you know, Cardassia says is the right thing to do. And so... I mean, that is a suggestion that, well, maybe they, the Cardassians are capable of change. Like, yes, at this point, Bajor and Cardassia are not friends, you know. At this point, Dukat and Kira are not friends. But, you know, I mean, this is a series that, series that believes that people can change and grow. And so I don't think it's saying that, you know, yes, at this point, no, there is no way that Kira and Dukat would ever, you know, be... be they're not, they're not going to get married and buy a farm on Bajor. No, but I think this, you know, it does make it clear that they might actually not hate each other eventually in May. You know, they're, they, even though, you know, even the moment when, you know, he gets the spike stub, stuck up his ass, like, you know, they have a moment where they're just laughing at the hilarity of the situation. And it is, you know, in spite of themselves, it's a moment of bonding. Yeah, and I think that that's that's one of the, the the kind of subtle things that the episode does, where it you know it really does indicate that that Kira it's hard to hold on to hate, right? Yeah, and, and Kira is obviously someone who has a lot of you know she's an interesting character for where she's gone in the past you know three years because we, when we first saw her at the very beginning of the series. She was a very angry person. She had just come out of the end of the occupation. I mean, the, the Cardassians had left, you know, weeks before. Yeah. And she was someone who was formed in that environment. She was someone who was formed in, in, a, in a sort of, you know, a stew of hatred and, and, and fighting and, and sort of adrenaline. And that was her constant life was, was deprivation and fear and, and, and you know, interspersed. I mean, what, what's that old line about war? It's 90% boredom interspersed with, you know, 10 minutes of, of terror. Yeah. Um, 
and so now she's she's mellowed a bit she's learned that that she has responsibilities as you know the the first officer of, of deep space nine she has responsibilities that are outside of her her role as a terrorist you know when she was a terrorist her role was to kill cardassians and to yeah. instill fear in them now she has other things to do she sees more of the bigger picture and you know i think it's it's nice in this episode that it does indicate without there's a lot of subtext in this episode and yeah. you know kira is is I think she, you, especially you see that at the very sort of middle part of the episode when they're in the runabout together traveling to the planet before they actually get there. And she's very obviously trying to to like consciously hold on to that that hatred yeah. and dislike she has of Ducat. And, you know, throughout the course of the episode, I think that Ducat both he he confirms her opinion of him him by saying that he came to kill uh Torzial, yeah. his daughter and then also he's he's subtly undermining it by by you know sitting on that that thorn and they're laughing and all you know, oh, the things not turned on and it's a funny moment yeah and th- the two actors play very well together and the, the actors actually have some nice chemistry together yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but you know not really sexual chemistry but but they no. do play off each other very well and so i think it's a it's a nice way to to sort of balance the two the two characters and also the two sides of, of Cardassia and Bajor at this point. Well, yeah. I mean, it's very difficult for Kira to, you know, feel comfortable around Dukat because rightfully he hurt and killed a lot of her people. You know, he is directly responsible for, you know, so many things that she knows very well. At the same time, he is a person and he is, you know, somebody who made certain choices in a wartime context that – you know, is completely different. I mean, his whole, his whole, he's, he's now working for the civilian council, for example. He has changed a lot. And, you know, even though he still is a Cardassian, even though he still is fully Cardassian, even though the things he has done in the past cannot be erased or expunged or, you know, maybe easily or at all forgiven, but he is still a person. And at that point, like, they're going through an embarrassing situation together, you know, at this point. He is, you know, dealing with some actual emotions, you know, he is. And so, yeah, that's the thing. She can't fully discount him, you know, the atrocities he's done. But she also can't, you know, deny that he is a person. Well, yeah. And also, I think that that one of the interesting things that the episode does is, you know, Dukat started out as as sort of a one note villain and he, he didn't have any sort of personality necessarily aside from from smugness you know uh, yeah and and now the show is definitely trying to to humanize him in a way it, it's it's trying to show i don't know if it's the real ducat i well, I, I don't you know, you know but but i think that the show is trying to to make him less of a one-note villain character and i think it is succeeding i i wonder what you think the the purpose of that is i mean i gotta be honest i don't feel like in this episode he's lying and that's a very no. interesting note for Dukat to be on. Like he definitely does go to this planet with the intention of killing his daughter. When he makes the decision to save her, that is a decision he's actually making. You know, the consequences that he's going to have to deal with are ones he will actually have to deal with. And, you know, whatever, you know, Dukat's talked about his family before and his, you know, that that I was going to take my son to the amusement processing center, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know... He has been giving lip service to family all this time, and now is an actual moment where, you know, yes, you, you know, I, I think we are seeing the real Ducat in that we are seeing what he will risk a lot for when it comes when he comes down to it. Yeah, but I also think at the same time it's 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 kind of self serving of him because. When he makes, you know, it's 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 interesting to me that he doesn't make more of an effort throughout the last three to four years to to find the ship, for yeah. example. I, and, and you know, once they find it, it's almost hilariously easy. Uh, you know, and and I think that maybe that was maybe that was part of a point the episode was making. A part of it wasn't. I mean, yeah, maybe, I mean, Dukatis didn't look that hard. I get the sense that you know, as long as the ship was not found. He could pretend as my mom, well, she was killed in the crash, yeah, you know. True. And that way I you know, now that the ship has been found, he I mean, he, it seems like he's almost hoping to that she was killed already in the you know, in the ex, in the explosion at that point. But either way, you know, he is allowed to live in that you know, he allows himself to live in that uncertainty, I think. 
Yeah, but I, you know, I think it's interesting too because you know we've been talking a lot about how how sincere Ducat seems in this episode, and I think he does. But at the same time, you know, I do wonder if if he is playing you know Kira just a little bit because you know he is someone who who has a lot of plots in his head. He is someone yeah. who who is very uh, cognizant of the ways in which the wind is blowing. I mean, that's why he he decided to to join up with the Dapa Council. So. You know, I think that that you know him sort of intimating that that you know Kira kind of picks up on the fact that you know he has this this Bajoran consort, this Bajoran mistress that he wants to say goodbye to, and I think that he does. I think that's a genuine reaction. But we also know by the end of the episode that he has this whole other thing that he's not telling Kira about this daughter that he wants to murder because he can't bring her back to Cardassia because that would you know harm his his standing in the military and his position has become precarious and you know whatever that means. But I think also that that he he kind of realizes that you know it's it's advantageous for for him to for for Kira to think that he's broken up by this you know he, he, I think he is yeah. but I also think that he's someone who's using his real emotional responses to things to his own advantage. What if it turns what 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 has has it ever been floated that perhaps he never intended to kill her? Told Kira that little tradition uh, just to you know make a big deal about the fact that at the end of the day he changed his mind even though that was what he wanted to do in the first place it certainly could be you know and and i i, I would not discount that possibility i think and there is some evidence for it in the episode i think too because he does talk about how you know would they put his his i don't remember his his bajoran mistress's name oh. i know her last name was torah but um that that you know the Torahs we'll call them <laughs> were were put on this this freighter ship in the beginning because he wanted to get them away from Bajor because the the children of Bajorans and Cardassians yeah. are not treated well in Bajor. You know we also saw that you know a couple of seasons ago when when Odo and Garrick had their um yeah, 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 their yeah. their adventures uh, on, on Bajor went to that orphanage with the half Cardassian you know well I guess there were just Cardassians left over at that point I don't think that any of them were half Bajoran but you know certainly it it, it factors into how Bajor is treating the children of Cardassia right I mean there are a bunch of there are a bunch of children, whether they are Cardassian, Bajoran, or half and half, who have been given horribly raw deals from the war. And, yeah. You know, the, the the one that we meet in this episode is yet another. We saw that one Cardassian who was adopted by the Bajoran parents and the things were difficult. Oh, yeah, Rugal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is another – you know, this is another permutation of that kind of general – I mean, we are seeing people who had literally nothing to do with the war. All that happened was they were born. Yeah, they are, you know, quite literally innocents here. Yes. They had absolutely nothing to do with anything that happened. Yeah. And so, I mean, I I, I think that it's interesting that we've seen, you know, the fault of both. And, you know, in, in this, you know, given that, it, it, you know, this girl is half Cardassian, half Bajoran, this is the literal fault of both Cardassia and Bajor is people in this situation. Well, yeah, because there's nowhere for them to go, right? Yeah. And I think that, that you know, I don't know what to make of the end of the episode because, you know, Dukat does make the decision to take to see all back to Cardassia and he's going to have to explain that to his wife somehow. And, you know, I mean, the implication is that she knows at least some of yeah. this. And, and he has something like eight children, I think they say, or yeah. seven children. So he has a lot of kids. You know, I, I don't know if he feels like this is a moral responsibility on his part. I, I kind of feel like, I don't know, the cynical part of me thinks that that Dukat goes along with Kira's plan to to rescue them all and, and kill the Breen. Um, and we'll talk about the Breen. But I, but also I think that that maybe the cynical part of me thinks that he's deciding to rescue her, not because he actually wants to take her back to Cardassia and, and put his, his station at risk, but because not rescuing her would would diminish him in the eyes of Kira. I mean, it's interesting when Dukat's goals align with other goals of his and other characters, but I mean I mean I think it's possible that, you know, if Dukat's change throughout this episode is genuine, you know, I don't think that Dukat at the beginning of this episode or even a couple seasons ago, you know, if you want to Get yeah, that sure. The time. There is a version of Dukat that wouldn't have cared about what Kira thought of him and or what the Federation thought of him or what Bajor thought of him. And this is a version of 
Ducat by the end of this episode that is starting to care maybe. Well, I think so. And I think also the other thing we have to remember too about Ducat and, and, and this factors into, I think Cardassia's sense of its own sense of security in yeah. place in the, in the, in the galaxy, because you know, at, at the beginning of the series, Ducat was someone who was very high. Richard's making a hard No, face. I'm just really remember now I'm remembering Ducat saying, you know, the, the the war orphans are something that we all have to, you know, deal with and come to reckon with, but you know, and he calls, you know, the, the suddenly the fact that he's left, you know, a child behind suddenly gives that line a lot more resonance. Yeah, actually. yeah, and I don't think this is something that was planned at that point. No, but, but I mean it, it, it it's it's interesting just to think about like that line has a lot more shades yeah, than Absolutely. Um, but, but I think, no, 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 it's fine. I I think that's a good point. Um, I think that, that the thing about Ducat is that he's realizing that his, his station is precarious and that he can't, you know, I mean, to be kind of gross about it, he can't walk around swinging his dick all the time. Like he's got to be a bit more gregarious, a bit nicer, you know, perhaps. But, you know, let's, let's take this back to, uh, the attention Bajoran workers episode though. Um, in that, it was, you know, he thought he had the upper hand, and then he realized that even when he was commander of Tarak Noor, his position was precarious. I think there is a degree to which it really doesn't matter what is, you know, uh, in, 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 in what your past is or what you're dealing with. Somebody in Cardassia is going to try and figure out a way of using something against you oh, at sure. any point. And so, you know... In a way, precarious situation, but I killed my daughter and precarious situation and I gave her a home, you know, even if there it's is, just – even on the pragmatic level, you know, one at least – one is a loss. One is a gain. Well, and I think there is there is something to, to the idea that, you know, the old, the old idea that, you know, blackmail only works if you feel guilty or yeah. you have something to be ashamed of or you yeah, want to yeah. hide something. And, you know, bringing his daughter home and sort of elevating her to a station of being his official Cardassian daughter or whatever you want to call it um, is is a way for him to to, in a sense, I think, protect his position because he's yeah. taking away a possible – line of attack that someone else could use against yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, you know, he's able to, you know, again, maybe he, this is his way of talking about the strength of the family, you know, even though she's just, you know, isn't fully Cardassian, you know, she still is my daughter and family means so, you know, and all of those kind of things. I yeah. Mean, I, I mean, by the end of the episode, it's clear that he is looking for more loopholes than he may have at the beginning, may have at the beginning, you know, he's scrutinizing the situation a bit more carefully. Well, I wonder, I want to ask you, but I mean, we, we should talk about the, the subplot with, with Cassidy and Cisco because it's kind of adorable, but, um, that, that I, I wonder if, I mean, do you think that introducing Ducat's daughter in the early fourth season of the show does that does that feel earned? Does that make sense to you? I mean, because there is a there is a little bit of a criticism of later DS Nine that it becomes a little soapy, and I don't mm. I don't necessarily agree with the criticism, but I can see it. I don't think this particular plot line feels soapy. Um, I hope that this isn't the last we see of her. Wait until Torzial's uh, twin um, comes back in the yeah. sixth season. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. But yeah, I no, I, I cut you off. But yeah, no, I was saying I hope we see more of her. I I hope that this. You know, isn't just a one-off, you know, plot line. I, I but don't think it's. I don't think it's really much of a spoiler or surprise to say that that, that she does. She does. Yeah, come back. I mean, she I, and you know, obviously, I I don't expect her to be a major character, but you know, just as Goldicott, you know, reoccurs every so often, and so much is going on in Cardassia that, frankly, you know, if they want to make her, you know, in other words, we have this change with the civilian government. You know, she could, you know turned out to be a civilian government leader, for example. You know, that could be what she ends up doing or something like that. I think she's a little too young for that, but yeah. You know, yeah, I was going to say it depends on the, but, you know, there, there is plenty of minor, are, there are plenty of minor roles for her to be slotted into. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I also think it, it's funny. It makes me remember the, uh, I forget the name of the episode, but the seventh season episode of TNG where, where uh, Damon Bach comes back because that's what we needed to see. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that guy, you know, pretends to be Picard's son and he doesn't know he's actually. You oh, know. God. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it I think it bring it up and it reminds me of that just because it does indicate the degree to which 
DS9 is a very different show than TNG. And, you know, TNG will introduce a, a relative of a character that they didn't know about. And by the end of the episode, usually it's not. I mean, aside from something like Alexander, you know, it's 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 willing to upset the status quo even to a small degree, I think, in a way that yeah. TNG was not necessarily that into. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's not like this is Cisco having another child that he didn't, you know, True. wasn't aware or of. Kira or somebody. Yeah, you know, but I don't know. At the same time, yeah, it is making it. I don't know. It, it, it it's, it's, it. I like this wrinkle in the in in and the fact that it does give Kira and Dukat this adventure together that does become, you know, a point of bonding between the two of them. You know, again, even if they still do hate each other by the end, even if Kira still they they still do have that weird desert planet, you know? Yeah, and it also it also I think, you know, gives Dukat another reason to be more on the side of yeah. healing the rift between Bajor and Cardassia yeah. or, or making up for it. I mean, I don't think that it's really incumbent on Bajor to do that, although... No, no, no. But, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it is true. During wartime, you are, you know, there is a, I'll, I'll say dehumanization because, you know, we're in the real world, but, you know, y- y- obviously, you know, the de- de- Cardassianization or whatever. There is a dehumanization of the enemy, and after wartime, you know, that begins to, you know... It's a difficult thing to get back to, you know, to viewing these people as, you know, as as people, as al- yeah. as possible allies, maybe even as, you know, once aggression, you know, stops. And so we are seeing some uh, – again, you know, Kira's journey has been seeing that there are such things as good Cardassians and she's even starting to have a bit – you know, to see that even Dukat can – even if Dukat isn't completely good, he can do good things. Well, and I would take that one step further, maybe, or maybe one step back and say not even that Kira knows now that there are good Cardassians, but but Kira sees that not all Cardassians are mustache-twirling villains. Yeah, that's true. You know even, what I mean? Yeah. And that's a step forward for her. Yeah. And I also think, too, that to your, to your point about sort of, you know, seeing seeing villains as faceless and nameless, um, we finally meet the Breen in this episode. There's not really much to say about them. They're not very important. They're keeping some people as, as slaves, which is gross. So obviously they're not nice. Uh, although Dukat has this weird line about uh, uh, something like uh, 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 respecting their, their initiative or something, which is like, okay, <laughs> uh, that's a weird Dukat thing to say. Um, but Yeah, it's one of those things where he, you know, just totally looking at these people not as people, looking at people as resources and stuff, you know. Yes, that that's that is you know looking at advantages and stuff that 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 is very clever. Yeah. You know that we see that there are all these rights violations. You know is obviously, you know. Yeah, he's he's able to sort of dispassionately look yeah. at it in a very objective way, which is kind of disturbing because I don't know if he should be able to do that with people. But anyway, uh, you know, um, it's, it's very Cardassian. It's very Cardassian. Uh, at it, least he has the good grace to be mildly ashamed of it. Yeah, you know, and Dukat's difficult to talk about because I'm never sure if he's being sincere or not. So how, yeah. how ashamed of it he actually is, I is don't Is he know, just saying but... the most shocking thing? Hey, is he just saying the most shocking thing he can think of to Ryle Kira, too? Like, yeah, it could be. There is a degree to which, you know, maybe he's just pulling your pigtails, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, I just mentioned the Breen because... Watch this space. I yeah, would not. I, pr- pretty much. You, you, you texted me earlier. You're like, you saw the Breen. I'm like, what the fuck are the Breen? I'm like, did we? He's like, they were in the episode. I'm like, where are they? <laughs> but um, yeah. They just, yeah, you know, just keep keep an eye on them. Uh, and I guess, you know, finally, before we wrap this up and move on to Rejoin, because who oh boy, uh, we should talk a little bit about the Cisco and Cassidy plot because it is very sitcom-y. It's very... I, I don't know that it necessarily fits in very well with the Karen Ducat stuff. I don't know that they the two plots tie together in any sort of subtextual Not way. Not particular, but but I think it's just nice that Cassidy's sticking around. I think. Yeah, I, I really know, do, like do you like them together. I think they're adorable. Um, I like Cassidy a lot. Um, yeah, and I, I think, like her too. I think that's a a big thing, big part of it. You know the. You know how she's well. I'm going to quit the job, and at the very end, when she's like, "No, I took, I took it already." Like you know, yeah, what, what, yeah. you know, like I like that about her. I like Jake in you know Jake's part in all of this. 
I like that Jake and Nog have figured out, you know, Ben's life. I think that's hilarious. Um, again, as a, you know, yes, it it is 100% a sitcom plot. I mean, this is, you know, you and I were watching Seinfeld earlier, and that's kind of, you yeah, know, what, yeah. what happens, you know. Oh, well, uh, but Watch out for Seinfeld about coming in two weeks. What? Totally lying. Okay. Um, <laughs> Richard doesn't even realize what I just said. <laughs> oh, Seinfeld about. Okay. Uh, I didn't hear it, man. Uh, the point is... That's why you wear the cans. As far as a light comedy subplot goes, I liked it. I think it's nice that, that you know... I don't know. Whenever we talk about sort of a, a Ben Cisco or Jake Cisco uh, interpersonal subplot... There's never really any question that they both love each other. They both want the best. And now we can slot Cassidy Yates in there as well. You know, there's no big drama here. There's no artificial tension. They're just two people that, you know, Cisco is obviously a little gun shy because the last year. I mean, I think it's very interesting, actually, that that when they're having dinner, he does say, well, it's been a while since my last serious relationship, which was his wife dying by yeah. being killed by the Borg, you know, and... Then also the fact that Cassidy Yates is very, you know, she she's just a little pissed off at him, but it's not like she's, I think she's a little disappointed more than she's angry. And I think that it's just nice well, that there's really no question that these are just two people that are just getting to know each other and they're trying to work this out and they're, they're dancing each other. They're dancing around each other, trying to figure out, you know, each other's kind of points of view and their emotional inner lives. Yeah. It's just, you like, know, I think there's a degree to which Cassidy kind of feels like we have so little time together that like you, we don't have time for bullshit or games. Like, you know, if you feel weird about this, you need to tell me because, you know, right. you know, if you feel good about this, I need to know that. Like, right. I, I, you know, she's, you know, it's not like she's, you know, world ending upset or making, you know, again, the fact that she, ends up not really, you know, letting the job go behind, you know, makes it clear that, you know, no, she's not going to do something crazy, you know. Right. No, she's actually, she's thinking about this rationally. She's not going off the handle in a sitcom, again, in right. a sitcom way where, you know, but at the same time, like, the two of them do owe each other that candor. Uh, yeah, I know. I think so. And, and you know, it's, it's funny, too, because I, I think the very end of the episode, you know, maybe overlooked sometimes, but... You know, I think it's for this storyline anyway, because I think it's a very important kind of, re, you know, revelation on Cisco's part where, you know, we, we've kind of I, I think they've they've intimated this before, but he does have some guilt over over Jennifer's death. Yeah. And, you know, don't forget, this is a yeah. man who just a few weeks ago was was gallivanting around with the, the dead ringer of his dead wife from the mirror universe, you know, and so his head is probably a little effed up right yeah. now, you know, and and. You know, he says, look, I, I have a lot of guilt or this is what killed Jennifer. I, you know, I, I feel, um, you know, conflicted about this because this is a very dangerous place. And, you know, and I, I care about you yeah. and all of these things. And, you know, that's him explaining himself. And I think that, you know, he's not necessarily doing it in the typical male thing about like, we don't have a feel, you know, we don't know how to talk about our feelings. But it's, you know, it, it's a nice way for the two characters, I think, to sort of get a little bit closer. And they're sort of dancing around, you know, eventually moving in together I mean, and, you know, all that kind of stuff stuff so you know to be fair he has a very, and it also shows how how yeah. much he cares about cassidy that he would say that to her and that he would have those kind of fears yeah. for her. he does have very legitimate reason to be feared for her because a couple of weeks ago the klingons were questioning her yeah i mean i think that you know if even if you go back to something like explorers from a few weeks ago you know yeah. i feel like if that episode had taken place in a couple of weeks he may have a very different reaction to that he might be really pushing jake to get off the station because yeah. of this klingon thing now you know yeah. i mean you don't know so this the stakes have changed a little bit yeah but i think at the end of the day they make it clear that you know and i like that she makes it clear that it's not really his job to protect her. You know, she did. Yeah. She has a difficult job that she's been doing just fine for years. Like, the two of them are going to end up looking out for each other, if you know what I mean. Like, at the end. She's a great, strong female character on a show that has a lot of them. So, yes. And I, and I love that. And they're know? all very different people, frankly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Dax is different from... Kira is different from Cassidy Yates, is different from Keiko, is different from, you know, Kai Wynn. Yeah. Yeah, or Kai Marissa, who we find out about in this episode, and that's another reason why 
uh, you know, Kira kind of lets Dukat go off and do his thing at this great grave sites because he's quoting some Kai from the past. Yeah. He's like, oh, look at you. Well, no, he knows a bit about, he actually knows about Bajoran religion, which surprises her. Yeah. You know, and we yeah. learned this, we learned a little bit about Cardassian burial rites. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it very makes, it very much makes sense that Cardassian is a lot more concerned with, you know, the physical remains and, you know, views in the sanctity of that when, Bajor was just concerned about the soul and you right. know, use the body as, you know, irrelevant. All this stuff about the paw and things. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the last thing I want to say before we move on to rejoined is um, there's that scene where, where Cisco and I think what, who is it? Um, is it Bashir and Dax are all sitting around? They're talking. Oh yeah. About when it. they're oh, talking it's about it's a big step, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you know, Quark comes over and he's being Quark and saying bizarre, gross things about women and how you need to control them and take things away from them for you to love, for them to love you. Uh, and uh, never, <laughs> they should never question you. And it's like, yeah, don't take dating advice from Quark. <laughs> and I like, but I like that, you know, Quark's I Quark is funny in this scene because his ideas are so self evidently bad. Yeah. Like I think I, I, that that that's very. But they probably work for you know Ferengi women. So, but they're all beaten well, down. Not all so. Ferengi well, women. Well, true. I mean, not it all. Wouldn't work on this. Imagine someone trying that on Moogie. You know. Well, <laughs> we'll have to stay tuned on that. Uh, but I think that what I like about that scene is you know it sh- it, it factors into the sort of low stakes geniality of a lot of the cast where, you know, they may not all hang out all the time like they did on the next generation. There's no one place that they all go like 10 forward. I mean, you have Quarks, you have the Klingon restaurant, you have the Replimat. But they even hang out in their apartments, you know? Right. Like, and so I just like the fact that there's no real question that, that Cisco is taking any of their, their advice like that seriously, but he's also listening to them. And it's like, it's not a, I don't think that, you know, it's, it, it's a different, it kind of portrays, Captain Cisco was a very different captain than Picard yeah. because Picard never would have no. sat around and let his like, officers talk about his personal life like that. Yeah, He's, like Dax is kind of, you know, Cisco's best friend at this point, you know. So yeah, she's the one he's going to be telling, you know, all of his and I mean I love that I love all of her reactions, you know, the, the cumulatively to Cassidy Yates. Like she is, you know, she is totally matchmaking, you know, yeah. and she's loving, you know, she's loving every little bit of drama that her friends are going through, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I love that Bashir apparently is the guy that everybody asks for dating advice though, because I mean, Bashir's kind of quietly become a player apparently. Well, that's it. Like, yeah, he, he so knows how he, to, he, he knows some stuff about ladies, I guess. He is a doctor and he has an English accent. I mean, I doubt it's very hard for him to. <laughs> He's not bad looking either. <laughs> just saying. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's move on to Rejoined. So this one was a little unexpected. How so? Well, I didn't expect lesbian kissing, but at the same time, it makes complete sense. Uh, well, this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't really see Trill, you know, keeping much of a. After a few incarnations, I don't think gender really matters to Trill's lovers. This is a weird episode, and I think it's it's going to be a really interesting episode to talk about because of kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on with this episode, and also what it indicates about Trill's society, which I know is an interest of yours. Yes. And so I think this is probably tailor-made for this podcast because... Uh, you know, I feel of two minds about this episode. I think it is a very well-constructed, very well-written episode. It's a good Dax episode. It's a great one Dax in, episode. Yeah, it's one of, I mean, it's probably the best one we've had so far. Uh, it, 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 it makes her have a lot of agency. It makes the character of Jadzia Dax out to be very thoughtful, very It's very about loving. Jadzia. Yeah, it's actually about her um, in a real way. And, and it's not about the the subtext in the episode which is the homosexuality no now there is the other, I, I don't know which way you want to go first in this i mean this was a, you know in the same way that the the interracial kiss episode from you know the third season of yeah. the original series was was seen as a big deal and in, in in sort of the historical context of star trek it's important this episode also is kind of like a big deal yeah i i think it's interesting because like again the ep- what you know this this episode's attitude is really summed up by Kira's uh talking to Bashir at the beginning about you know this taboo that they have and you know it's interesting that we have seen we've seen dark Kira be you know canonically bisexual and yeah, um sure that's you know I thought that was an interesting that canonically bisexual is our another is our new podcast by the way okay 
that that in a way may influence uh, Kira's open mindedness, and I think you know if. I, I I would be surprised if Kira didn't have another woman in the back in her terrorist days that she was close to. But well, anyway. what? Here's my problem with this episode is that you have to look. At, I think we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this with the Outcast back from season yeah. four or five of TNG, the one where Riker falls in love with the genderless species and they have yes. a gender and you know all that kind of stuff. And we talked a lot about how that was sort of a coded read on uh, you know the ways in which. Um, you know, gay relationships and gay sexuality yeah. was sort of had to be hidden and, and coded, right, in the past. And, you know, Star Trek for a long time at this period, I mean, this was 1995, right? Um, yeah, 1995. I just did the math on my fingers. Sorry okay. about that. Um, you know, the fall of 1995. You know, yeah, you have to think back to what the the sort of like you know, popular opinion or the, you know, cultural opinion of of of, of gay rights and gay issues and gay well, people were. I and mean, this was around the time that Ellen DeGeneres had her episode, right? Yeah, that was 96, I believe. Yeah, so that even, and I remember how controversial that was. You I know? think it's... And that wasn't even a kiss, that was just her coming out. Well, and this is also, you know, this is one of those things that, that I'm very sensitive to, of course, because in 1995, I was 14 years old. Yeah. And, and I was just sort of now, you know, starting to come to terms with the fact that I was gay. Yeah. And, you know, I think that people now forget what the mid-90s were like. Yeah. I, it wasn't a great time to grow up gay. It wasn't a bad time, but it certainly wasn't like it is now where 12 year olds are not even coming out. They're just sort of gay. And, you know, and so it was, yeah. you know, there, I came out at 17 in 2000 and it was, I was the only gay person in my school. Right. So, you in know, New Jersey, you know, suburban, it was very progressive in that area. Right. So I think that if you think back to that, I mean, I think Ellen is a perfect example to put that into context. Yeah. That was a huge thing. You know, she was one of the first big stars to to come out of the closet. She revealed herself as a lesbian on the cover of Time magazine. Yep, I'm gay. You know, she she turned her uh, uh, last season of her sitcom into the the most postmodern construction of American homosexuality in the 90s. We might want to do a Trek About Presents on that, actually, because I really do. I've actually never seen any of the show. <laughs> I think the last season of Ellen is profoundly gay, and it is amazing. Uh, that was her basically giving the middle finger to America. Um I know that's not a popular. No, the opinion, fact but... the fact that she's continue she continued on a career and got a daytime talk show is her giving the finger to America. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> but the th- you have to. P- I'm saying all this, and we're sort of talking about this to put this episode in context. What was happening in American culture yeah. at this time? I mean, there there's a lot of stuff on Memory Alpha about this episode where they were getting a lot of terrible letters from I people. Can... There were like there at least one um, at least one television state because this was still syndicated. At this yeah, time. this wasn't a network thing. You know, Voyager was on a network, but this was not. Uh, that you know they edited out the kiss they didn't want to show it you know this was where america yeah. was in 1995 i mean watching this episode this wasn't done deliberately this wasn't just like oh we're going to be a little extra sexy this week or no you know, this was yeah. this was this is something that everybody talked about that they asked terry farrell are you okay with doing this that they asked everyone on the cast can we do this scene? you know like th- this and, was and, and interestingly enough you know entertainment tonight wanted to be there to film the kiss and and sort of show it and, yeah you know as, as a news story and avery brooks he directed this episode he actually refused to his credit he was like i don't want to sensationalize this yeah this is not a big deal like you know and so I think that's interesting. It says a lot about yeah. him as well as a person. I mean, but, it's, yeah, there are two ep- two things going on there. There is inside the episode the fact that they are two women kissing is utterly irrelevant. Again, Kira is talking about, you know, this taboo and she doesn't understand the taboo between, you know, going with an old, you know, but – she and I do want to talk about the trail reassociation taboo. Yes, because it's kind of weird. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but there's a reason for it, but it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, she, t- you know, Kira initially like things like, oh, they're all together. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna get back, aren't they? Without even like to, to her, like gender isn't even a consideration. She sees, you know, two old lovers coming back together, and she wonders, oh, are they gonna, you know, rekindle it? And this, and this is what I mean. That's a good segue yeah. into the second part of the behind the scenes stuff because 
you know, start, we talked about this in the outcast again, but Star Trek had been criticized a long time for not featuring any gay characters. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about Blood and Fire, the David Gerald script that was supposed to be made in the first season or the second season about it, the AIDS allegory, you know, with the, um, the, the gay men, that it would have been the first time that gay characters has been on Star Trek and they killed it. Um, they didn't kill the characters. They, they killed oh. the episode. And, you know, Star Trek was quickly developed, you know, Berman era, 90s era Star Trek was quickly developing a reputation for being very sexually repressed, very sexually buttoned up and and not really in line with the the sort of, you know, social. I mean, and and again, I think the, the original series gets a little it's it's social commentary gets a little overplayed. Yeah. But but, you know, it, it did Kirk have knew what sex was. Well, I don't even mean in that sense. I just but, mean like, you know, with the interracial kiss yeah. and talking about the Vietnam War and all these things. You know, it definitely did have those moments, okay. but a lot of times it was just sort of a pulpy, you know, sci-fi show that that it wasn't living up to, you know, what this was one of the biggest issues of the 80s and 90s, you yeah. know, gay rights and and Star Trek was silent on it. And it was seen as a as a coward a form of cowardice. I mean, there were actually I think there was like a there was like a fan group of gay Star Trek fans that that were pushing for Paramount to put a gay character on Star Trek. I mean, I got to be honest, I've I've even heard a lot of that today like I, I someone was saying like why isn't the Sulu in the movies now gay? It would be the most obvious change to make, you know, since Which the, I think is why they didn't do it. But But at the same time, why isn't that version of Sulu gay? Well, I think, you know, it's. It, I don't think that they think about it. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, well, I, we can talk about that when we get to the Star Trek 2009 movie in about seven years. But but I guess to the to the to to say they don't think about it. I mean, again, we'll talk about this when we get to the 2009. But Star Trek's point is to think about it. Well, that's maybe a criticism of Abrams versus Star yeah. Trek. I you know, but I, I'll just leave it at that. But um. You know, I think that that looking at this episode, this very much was an episode which, in a certain sense, was kind of kind of correcting for that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, this is a an episode which canonically establishes that apparently no one has a problem with homosexuality, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Kira doesn't bat an eye at it. Cisco doesn't bat an eye at it. Bashir doesn't. Bashir doesn't bat an eye at it. Even Quark is I would say, even Bashir, who is in love at some level still with Dax, doesn't seem to worry about it. It's a complete, which, you know, it's a complete and total yeah. non-issue. No one ever brings it up. No one mentions it. It, it's, it, which completely makes sense, you know. Which I loved about the episode. Yes. But at the same time, and yeah. this is my fundamental problem with it, this is, a, this is an episode of Star Trek which canonically establishes that nobody in the future has a problem with homosexuality where no homosexual characters exist. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I, think, know, it's, that's I true. think that's kind of gross. That, that, that complete, that, that's true. If this were like the beginning of, you know, all right, we made a mistake, let's do this, you know, and then later, you know, this is kind of dipping the toe into the water to, you know, well, can we have an actually gay character on? If that were the case, that would be one thing. But I assume then based and on your... I, you know, no, they don't. And I think that, that you know, to, you know, I don't want to overstate the fact that I think that putting a gay character on, on 90s Berman era Star Trek would have been a disaster. Oh, no. I, I don't think, think of... it would have been handled well. I think it would have been a sort of will and grace situation, yeah. honestly. And... You know, I, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it. I'm also kind of well. Glad. That's true. I mean, the first few, I, I remember, you know, a lot of gay people on TV in the early 2000s. You know, again, Will and Grace, Queer Eye for the Grave. It was a minstrel show. It, it was absolutely, and I, I mean, we've talked about this off the off the mics a lot, but it, it was. It's perfect example. Those were the gay minstrel yeah. show. Um, those were the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. But I think that, you know, that's my problem with it is that this episode and we'll talk about the actual, you know, all the episode and the character and, and what it says about that, control society. Uh, but at the end of the day, the the way that the Star Trek franchise decided to deal with the issue of homosexuality was to make it a complete non-issue to the degree that there are no gay characters. That is such a cop out. Yeah. And that is such a, a cowardly way to approach this issue that I I I, I don't know. I and, and I remember to say it's not incidental that the, the you know the kiss is between two extremely pretty women. It is, you know, yeah, certainly not. <laughs> I mean, it was a very well done kiss. The two actresses had this. I would say this is Terry Farrell's lev- leveling up in this episode. We get a lot better. She has number one a little more to work with, but 
she really has the character in this one. And, you know, the two actresses have amazing chemistry together. You know, it is very believable that the two of them. It totally know, is. And I have no problem yeah. with, with the, you know, the issue of, of no. non-gendered love. I have no issue with yeah. the bisexuality. I mean, obviously. I mean, you know, but but to me, it just speaks to the the ways in which Star Trek was was starting to to sort of fail itself. And I don't. Yeah. Is, is it? Is it cowardly? Is it conservative? Or, I mean, again, yes, you know, I think we, all of those things. You know, to a degree, we can look back into with ninety five eyes because we were around at that point. But at the same time, we were very young teenagers, and you know that was twenty one years ago. So, I don't know. Are we maybe expecting more from it? than it could have given and was this the best that they could really do i don't know because even remember that interracial kiss wasn't exactly you know a white man and a black woman who loved each other you know right. and were consummating that no that was a mind control moment yeah and i think that when we talked about that episode i think we did i think what, what was that not requiem from methuselah plato's that, yeah children. plato's stepchildren um i think we did kind of mention that a little bit how it how it definitely wasn't you know sort of this loving you know moment and this obviously is much better than that I mean, yeah these are two characters that you know were married in the past loved each other you know all of these kind of things but at the same time i think there is a degree to which even if we are allowed to cop ourselves out by saying well they were mind controlled oh well it wasn't you know i think even you know for some people just the very image no matter what the context was horrifying and just in the in the interest of we need to desensitize people to this to see that this isn't a disgusting, horrible thing that, you know, this is pretty okay and fine, you know, when you look at it. Like, I mean, and, you know, it, it, it maybe my last point about the sort of, you know, politi- yeah. political stuff, real world stuff, and then we'll talk about the episode. But I think that, you know, my reaction to this also is is coming from a place of knowing you know, where the other shows go with their characters as well, because there are no gay characters in Voyager. There are no uh, gay yeah. characters in Enterprise. Oh, Tuvok isn't? No. Um, and, and there was one specific character on Enterprise that I don't know if this is true, but I've, I've read a lot of stuff and I've heard things from actors mm. that one of the characters in Enterprise was supposed to be gay. The actor played him as gay and the decision was made not to make him gay. Now, you know, and so, and that was, you know, that was in the year 2001. Yeah. We're talking about six years later. You know, it was a completely different world at that point. You know, I mean, we forget how quickly, yeah. the, you know, gay representation on television and movies really yeah. pushed forward. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, it's it's one of those things And now, frankly, that, tenuous, it still feels a little bit to me. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think that if you We look, still don't have a, you know, the new Star Trek is not going to feature an out and proud gay captain, for example. Although not, it's Brian Fuller, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think. But, you know, like it would still be an exception and you know that if it's the kind of thing where I feel like he could pull that off now, but it would still be fairly controversial and a lot of people would still have problems with it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. Absolutely. But I think, I, I think that the Brian Fuller Star Trek is, is going to have gay characters. Finally, I, I I can't see a way around it. I mean, if it doesn't, people will just be so disheartened by it that they will probably like not watch the show. No, no, I do. They need to do that. Like, it needs to be a main cast member or the point of the first episode. And I mean, also, you know, again, it's Brian Fuller. So yeah, yeah I don't have gay characters. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I think I've said my piece about this. I yeah. think that, you know, we probably will never really talk about this again because I don't think there's another opportunity to, um, you know, and the other thing too, maybe before we move on to talking about the actual episode <laughs> is, uh, you know, I, I kind of gone around the fence about talking about this, but, you know, I've gone to the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas the past three years and I've heard a lot of the actors and writers talk about Rick Berman and, you know, we don't talk a lot about Rick Berman. He wasn't super involved in DS nine, at least creatively. Obviously he was a producer and he was, you know, had a hand in the casting process and sort of like approving storylines and things of that nature. And I don't think that he's a bad guy, but from everything that I've heard, he's kind of sexist. He's kind of homophobic Mm. He's an older guy. He's yeah. he's a conservative Hollywood guy. You know, he's almost 70 at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I think that probably factored into it, too. For and sure. so with new, you know, creative and production blood on the new Star Trek series coming next year, I think mm-hmm. the chances are good that that's finally going to go away. But that said, I think if you look at Rejoined objectively as just an episode, a Dax well, episode... 
It's a good one. As far one of the things we re- talked about was the episode not that long ago where, or was that when was that when you know Dax falls in love with the guy on the they turn into energy every seven years or whatever planet and oh yeah Meridian Meridian yeah where she was willing to essentially throw away everything for love and we talked about is this yeah. the kind of thing Dax would do well this episode is the second time she's done that so. Yeah, actually, now I, you know, that's, that's a good, kind yeah, of her personality. Like, Dax might just, I mean, at this point, Dax has had seven lives. So, yeah, it's true. She doesn't just want a simple boy meets girl, you know, they fall in love, have their two point, because she already had that experience, you know. Many times. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, most, you know, most directly in the one with uh, that quark incarnated in that one episode. But, um, Dax is looking for, and I think this is a Jadzia thing, wants that Romeo and Juliet sit and Nancy us against the world kind of relationship. And she's, you know, that at the end she decides to throw everything away, but, you know, this other woman won't. And yeah. I don't know, that, that's, that turns it, it to a weird note, to a very interesting character note. I, I do think that, you know, I promised that I would stop talking about real world, you know, gay readings of this, but I can't, huh. um, is that, you know, it does feed a little bit into the ways in which gay characters are treated in movies, well, in, you know, in the 50s and 40s and 60s, where they had to have the the tragic ending. Yeah. Could, the characters could not stay together. Um, and obviously they're not going to stay together because this is a television yeah. show and they're not going to introduce an entirely new character that Jed Z is going to get into a romantic relationship with. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, I'm glad that they, you know, didn't end it where, well, one of them dies. Or, you know, it, it, it didn't end with yeah. any, you know, ma- all it ended with, you know, was one of them deciding, you know, no, I actually don't feel as strongly about this as you do. Or or I th- I don't know if I agree with you, actually. I do think that... Uh, what is her name? Um, Lady. Nalani. I do think that Nalani, Nil- that's a hard name to say. Lenali. What the fuck am I doing? Denali. Lenali. Lorna Dune. I'm going to leave that in because that's funny. You know, yeah, Nanali is in love with Dax, in love with Jadzia Dax specifically. I think that there is an element to which she is just more conservative, more protectionist than than Jadzia. I think that... Well, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, and historically, if you want to talk about, you know, gay and lesbian people, there are people who would be willing to, you know, leave their home and, you know, live in the gay part of town, you know, to do that while there's others who would just rather stay closeted so i mean that's that analogizes to that certainly yeah and i think that you know this this idea of the trill you know reassociation taboo while i think it does have problems and while i don't think it necessarily completely jives with society like the 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 and also frankly it's not really a taboo if there's legal consequences as well (laughs) exile from trill forever yeah i mean the 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 uh I mean, we have a taboo against, you know, sex with animals, but there's still illegal protections against that. Um, I guess, yeah. Um, not that I'm equating, you know, homosexuality or hooking up with your ex, you know, to, you know, with bestiality, but anyway. I'm glad you made that clear. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I have no idea what the point I was making was. Well, I think, you know, the the association thing. Well, okay, so. so- oh, yeah, you know, yeah. My question is, yeah, but like. Dax has really slotted in very well to her, you know, relationship with Cisco again. Is it just because they're not having sex? That they, they do make just... a, they do make a point in the episode. Maybe you missed this line. I, I might know, have that it's specifically about join Trill and other okay. join Trill, and so, but but also not because actually now that I'm saying that because the reassociation taboo is about uh, uh, people when they go when when Trill go into another body. They're not supposed to get into relationships with people that they've had relationships with in the past, whether or not they're joined. It's not a bad, they, they're not, they actually say in the episode that you're not supposed to have any dealings with any sort of siblings, you know, yeah. family members, anything, whether or not they're joined or not. The, the, the real problem is that when you transition into a new host and you become a new person, you're supposed to completely cast away all of yeah. your 
which right how does that factor yeah into and Cisco's especially friendship cons- with with dax it kind of doesn't i mean i guess because he's not trill but that seems like a loophole it seems kind of yeah and i mean like yeah maybe it is just to deal with other trill but then but but, but i mean I, I kind of you know and the other thing too about it is that the the backstory for this whole episode is that um one of the one of the writing staff wanted to do this because they thought that the trill would have a vehicle for uh not for a vehicle for making sure that join trill didn't just hang out with other join trill and become yeah. some sort of weird aristocracy which i get yeah but i kind of wish that they had made that i wish that they had well, made the reassociation I mean, taboo that narrow you know something i feel like don't even make it a reassociation tab uh, uh i don't know well, well then you wouldn't have the history i mean I could see it being a taboo that two joint trill don't have relationships with each other or something like that. Or if they have had a relationship with each other in the past that they can't in the future. You know, you get one. Yeah. Uh, I could see that, sure. But I think that it, it's painted a little too broadly. I think it's a little too ill thought out. And frankly, I don't think that it really – it doesn't really factor into trill society that we've seen so far, trill culture, because – as we know, the number of joined trill are very small. Yeah, and I mean, would would non-joined trill even give a shit about this? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, the you know, there is a degree to which I don't know if it's a thing. Like again, uh, her intern thought it was weird that she wasn't acting like a traditional trill. We've seen, you know, Worf's whole point. Next generation was the difference between. Klingon society in the books and Klingon society as it is. So, yeah. you know, it could be the kind of thing like, you know, yes, you know, we don't do this, but if, you know, if, if, if Jadzia and Nalana went to Ryza for a weekend, you know, no one would really ask questions. Like, is it that kind of thing? It doesn't seem, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's, it, it, it's very much about, and again, this kind of factors into the way in which, which homosexuality was read as in the past, but you know, it, it wasn't, you know, certainly it was a crime. Nobody really wanted to know that you were gay, but it was really bad if you unashamedly made it a public thing. Yeah. And that was really where the power of coming out, you know, became a thing. Yeah. So in, as in, you said, if somebody, you know, you can't blackmail somebody if they're not ashamed of it. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm very smart. Um, and yeah. And so, I'm the one who picked up the connection. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, on a, in a certain sense, the, all of this is interesting conversation for us, but does the episode actually work? I mean, emotionally, no. it works. Yeah, it's the kind of, it, it. I it's, buy this totally, and I think this is, I mean, you said it, but this is some of the best acting that Terry Farrell has yeah. done on this show, perhaps ever. I don't know. But I think it's a case of where it's the kind of thing where if we do, do a Neil deGrasse, DeGrasse Tyson analysis of this and try to figure out how it all adds up, it won't if we just use it as you know this is this is the space version of the taboo against homosexuality and we'd like to do an episode about that it's fine it's the kind of episode that works only allegorically i think of I, course I, yeah. given that we are world you know it, it's the kind of thing where in the outcast we could have a society that didn't quite make sense because you and i know we never see it again so you know any 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 bits that don't quite work, it's okay because, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know. This is Trill. This is one of the – this is turning into be, being one of the major players in the galaxy, you know, even if not well, – poli- I, 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 I wouldn't say politically, but given that one of our main cast members is from them, they're as important as, for example, Ferengus or, you know, Klingus or, you know, uh, 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 wherever, but – you make all these Star Trek planet names sound like venereal diseases. Most of them do. Well, I mean, look at what the people look like. They look like they have venereal diseases. That is very specious of you. It is. I, I see what you mean, and I think that that is a failing of the Yeah, like that... this is the kind of thing where we have to slot this into – because at this point I have a working knowledge of how troll society works, and – this doesn't make sense, and you know the show wants me to have a working knowledge of how troll society works. So, and and also, and also, frankly, I think that 
you know, Ronald D. Moore, who wrote this episode, or at least wrote the teleplay, and and all of the writing staff and the production staff, you know, they bent over backwards in 1995 to say yeah. that this was not a, a, a this was not a an allegory for for homosexuality or gay rights, which is like Jesus Christ, come the fuck on! Like at least have the courage of your fucking convictions, because this is so obviously yeah. a bald faced allegory about gay rights in 1995. You know, th- yeah, this is. This is but I think- about somebody in, coming to the hip part of town where nobody gives a shit about if you're gay and, you know, meeting your, you know, your Except lover's- for her creepy brother. Yes! And the creepy guy who's leering at them in quarks. It's like, this is so obviously yeah. a, an allegory for homosexuality. It's like, it's hard to talk about this in like an in-universe way because... We, it's two women. It's a homosexual thing. Even though they're not gay, perhaps they're bisexual or they're just in love with each other and they're sort of pansexual or whatever, you know. And so we read it as something very different from what the characters experience it as. I mean, oh my God, wouldn't it? Like, imagine a view of this episode that had the balls to say that, you know, well, Trill has a taboo against, you know, you know, they're joined, you know, having homosexual relationship. It doesn't matter, you know, that, you know, Dax has had sex with both men and women, you know, this is taboo. You could have all the characters having the same exact reaction to it. It would be the same exact show. Yeah. I wish this, you know, I can imagine an episode that has the balls to do that. But. Yeah, I don't know if it would be better or not. You know, I, I I, don't, I have no way to answer that. I'd have to think about it. I mean, yeah. I think that on a certain sense, maybe it would be better, but on a certain sense, it might just be a little too on the nose. Of course, but. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's a problematic episode in a lot of ways. That's, and, it, it, it wants to have a, that's it. It wants to have it both ways. It wants Trill to be this allegorical planet that can comment on, you know, homosexuality in the modern day and as it goes. But it also wants Trill to be a created world that has its own culture and, and view. And the two of them don't quite mesh. Yeah. So it feels a little tonally off. Yeah. If I discount the literal parts of this episode and just deal with the emotions, just deal with the characters, just deal with it about a story about a woman who – you know, is confronted with love and has to choose between love and, you know, her life and makes the choice for love and realizes that, you know, her girlfriend has made the choice for her life. You know, that tragedy, just on that level, it's an extraordinarily effective episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was about to say, I mean, I totally don't want to discount the yeah. actual core of the pl- of the episode of the plot, which is this relationship. And the two actresses, you know, they have a lot of chemistry together. They they act the hell out of these scenes. I mean, I, I again, I've said that this is some of the best acting work that Terry Farrell has done. But you know, when they're talking about their you know, Tarias yeah. and and her host, and you know, it's like you can. I mean, they they do a really good yeah. job of selling the fact that they are they are experiencing these memories and they're they're kind of viewing yeah. each other and thinking of each other as these other people. And I love what I loved about that is you know because. You know, we've talked about what must it like to be Trill, you know, that that's interesting. And I really like the sense that even Trill have trouble navigating their own feelings because, I mean, let's face yeah. it, humans have trouble navigating our own feelings and we only live one life, you know. You can imagine how complicated that would get and, you know, how... Oh, someone doesn't believe in reincarnation. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> No, I, I mean, if you really you. want me to talk about my theories on reincarnation, we could do that. Please, but it would be the most boring podcast please ever. Please never do that. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that that you know that that is the reason why the episode works as well as it does. Yeah. Well, good for it. Yeah, I, I don't know what else there's really to say about it, but I don't know. But yeah, I I, I never heard that you know oh they don't you know it doesn't really Berman error doesn't really know what sex is, but. You know, comparing Next Generation and this, like, number one, the sex in Next Generation always felt a little weird to me. Like, yeah, it's very was PG. That, it, but it, it was also... One foot on the floor stuff that they used to do in the movies. Not even that. It felt kind of uncomfortable. Like, you know, the thought of, like, Riker going to rise and, like, boning ladies just made me feel, like, a little <laughs> gross. Like, But it's like, you know, in this episode, in, in this series, you know, obviously, you know... Uh, Quark gets Umak from, you know, every woman he can get it from. You know, Dax has taken lovers and, you know, in that simulation had those two Trill boys, you know, with her. Bashir, Kira. Yeah, Bashir and Kira have both had relationships. I think the only characters in in DS9 whose sexual relationship feels kind of weird is... Is is the married couple. Miles. And Keiko. And Keiko. And where did they come from? 
Earth. TNG. Mm. Yeah, no, that that's not that's probably not uncoincidental. Yeah. But um, you know, in general, like sex on this show is portrayed as something pleasurable and fun and, you know, nice between two people and all of those kind of things. You know, it 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 it, it is this is a show that this show took more of the sexual liberation of the sixties than Next Generation did. Yes, I think so. To some degree. Except when we deal with gay characters. Well. (laughs) All right. Well, if uh, you have any thoughts on either of the episodes that we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is truckaboutshow. Leave us a positive iTunes review by searching for truckabout on iTunes. We haven't gotten one in a while, and uh, we'll read it on the show if you leave us one. So we love you. And finally, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you feel so inclined and have a little extra money. We would appreciate it. And we'll send you something every week. You'll get an email from us every week if you give us more than a dollar a month. And, and you know, if you have a lot of money, you should still give us money, too. Yeah. We'll we'll take any donation of any size. Yeah. If the first donation we get that's, say, I don't know, $500 a month will send nudes. Blow you. How about that? Or if you're a lady, we'll we'll send nudes. We will send your, nudes. We'll we your... can send nudes to anybody. It doesn't matter. I shouldn't talk about sending nudes to our fans. No, you shouldn't. That's bad. <laughs> we're we're both adults. We can talk about this. We shouldn't do that though because they might be children. We don't know. Also, if you're a child, you should not be listening to this podcast. Why not? <laughs> I, 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 I curse a lot, Eric. I I I I think we need to take it home. We're gonna get in trouble. Okay, fine. Uh, so, uh, yeah, next week we are continuing our journey into the fourth season of Deep Space Nine. We're going to be talking about the episodes Starship Down and Little Green Men, Aww. which is a fun one. Is that a sexy one? Uh, kind of. <laughs> and it's about Quark. And going down on a starship, eh? Yep. All right. We'll talk to you then.